Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Charity Stripe on the all new Mightier 1090 AM SoCal Sports Talk. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Pitch your free throws because they're free. I'm Joshua Fisher along with Nicholas Snacks Kreider. If you don't like a DJ Airhorn sound effect, that is so fine. Just talk to us about it on Instagram at the.charity.stripe or on Twitter at underscore charity stripe underscore. Super simple. Would love to hear you out on that whole shebang. We got a special guest joining us today. Ryan LeBarnway is here in the house. No better man to talk baseball. This guy's played it for a number of years. Just played on the Olympic team for Israel, which we got to hear about. And he was on the Red Sox when they won the World Championship World Series, baby, in 2013. My socks there. Ryan, first question for you, man. The Sox are down. The Dodgers are down. What's the mentality in the clubhouse to kind of get back, especially for the Red Sox, who are now going into enemy territory, down 3-2. You had the lead going into Fenway Park, your hometown, and then you kind of blew it. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, you guys having me on the show. Uh, the, the mentality, as far as I'm concerned, for these teams is, is one game at a time. You know, you, you win them one game at a time, you lose them one game at a time, and, and one, one inning, one pitch, one out at a time. And a momentum comes down to the next day starting pitching. So to me, that's the biggest thing they're thinking about. Whoever's taking the ball tonight for the Red Sox, he's going to go out there. He's going to have the game of his life. I know I'm rooting for the Red Sox. I know, I know you're rooting for the Red Sox. And I know most of the world is rooting for the Red Sox because right now the Astros are everyone's favorite team to hate, aren't they? It has been that case for years. You, What was your opinion when that scandal broke as a player were you shocked did you see that coming what was the what was this what was the uh, sentiment for you so within the game that was something that everyone kind of knew was happening really? nobody was really happy about it there's rumors and i think when the the scandal broke and there was finally proof and there was finally members of that team that were speaking out about it because they were on other teams now yes that's when we finally were outwardly outraged but there's been rumors about that going on for years. Uh, my buddy, Danny Farquhar, you know, he caught it in the middle of it happening and he you know, went out and changed the signs. Yeah. Yeah. It was epic. That was yeah. wild. He was like at the I'm, forefront of it. That's baseball IQ in the thousands. Yeah. Danny Farquhar there. Some of these guys, that's like, as you start to watch the game more and more, I mean, like you play at the highest level with, with the best you really get to see some of the baseball IQ on these guys. It is 
so unbelievable. And when they break it, and like that's the beauty of social media, the ability to break it down nowadays. And so it's not just, you know, you're not just thinking of all right, David Ortiz, like, you know, club and home runs. And then that's all you kind of get of the baseball player. There's so much more to him. Um, but there's a lot of IQ. There's a lot, a lot of game is changing in the playoffs. What's your take on the way pitchers are being used, especially as a catcher? So that's that's one of the things I've been watching the last couple of games that's really interesting to me. Mm. I know Furious for the Dodgers last night in that game. He wasn't himself. He didn't have his velocity. But what I would have loved to seen, because I've seen the advanced metrics, I know what it's like to hit a 92-mile-per-hour fastball versus a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. And I have also know the difference between hitting a 100-mile-per-hour fastball that doesn't have a high spin rate versus a 92-mile-per-hour fastball that looks like it disappears on you. And that 92 can feel faster or harder to hit than 100 or 103 even some of these guys are throwing now. Because of the spin rate, that ball looks like it's rising. It doesn't do the same thing that you're used to 99% of the pitches doing that you've faced in your life since Little League. These balls disappear on you. So I would have loved to have seen that on the broadcast. And when I'm watching TV, some of these, some of these metrics that we now know matter so much I'd love to see that getting pushed to the forefront of the public's attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think again, you could probably settle this debate that we have maybe every couple of months on our show. Nick, (laughs) Nick played, Nick was a walk on for Texas. Football, not baseball, football. football. So we have an athlete on our hands. This is not like run of the mill, Joe Schmo off two home runs in softball last night, crank two home runs, 400 footers in softball. Nick thinks in a hundred at bats off of Aldis Chapman, he puts a ball in play. I say not even in a, not even in that realm. Aroldis Chapman today or Aroldis Chapman at his prime? Best. The best. Best. Oh man. Hundred at bats. And I'm taking some batting practice. Just putting it in play. I'm not trying to get a hit. Just Pretty in play. play. Give me a dribbler down the line. Yeah. Does bunning count? No. No, 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 bunny. You got to take the I think I'd be more scared to bunt, honestly. That's probably fair. I actually faced Aroldis Chapman when he was on his way up with the Reds, and he was still figuring out exactly where the ball was going. And I'll tell you what, that was not a fun at bat. I think that's part of the reason why he was so dominant too. People were just shaking in their boots at the plate, right? Like, yeah. is he going to hit it in my head, or is he going to put it right down the middle? One hundred and six at your face, and then you don't want to you don't want to step in the box anymore. Yeah, I mean, then you're just kind of cowering over there at the edge. Jesus, yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. Like he he brushes he brushes Nick off in the first pitch, and then it's toast. Nick, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say you could put it in play, but with the caveat, I don't think you're getting it out of the infield. I think yeah. you can you can get just enough of it to maybe hit a grounder that goes three feet on a full swing. I mean, you're an athlete. I'll, I'll give you that. the benefit of the doubt, some some hand eye coordination, but but that guy is on another level. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I'm with that. I'll take that. Yeah, that's the best answer he's gotten in a while. Because for <laughs> me, it's I'm like Debbie Downer over here. I just don't like about. doubters, you know. I'm a realist. That's how I prefer <laughs> to say it in my mid twenties. Um, but I the, the way the pitchers are used like, with Urias is like he's pitching like almost every day. I feel, and he, I gotta right. go to Dave. It's like, what are we doing here? You have you have they have such a deep pen too, like. Why don't you mix it up a bit? It feels like they're overusing some of their guys. It's very confusing to me. I mean, yeah. it's, he's got to be throwing off these pitchers' groove for sure. I mean, you look at Urias, who has been a starter all season, right? And he's being used in so many different ways and in so many different types of game situations as well. And you look at the last game he just had, he, he lets up three early home runs. I mean, it's got to be a, 
a, a mental thing right now at this point. Well, if you were watching the broadcast last night, they actually interviewed Max Scherzer between one of the innings and they asked him a similar question about how he came in to close. And they said, what do you think about it? And Max said, it's definitely different. It's a different routine to warm up, a different routine to get my arm ready. But that's what you want. This is the playoffs. I want to have the ball as many times as possible. I want to be in that that fire in the position when it matters. So these guys are probably begging Dave Roberts for the ball. And it's, it's easy for us to play armchair quarterback in the next day and say like, oh, he didn't have his best stuff. Maybe the manager threw him off. But this is, the, this is what baseball, this is the reason we play. It's playoff baseball. That 162 game season, it's a grind, don't get me wrong, but that's the warm up for the playoffs. That's the reason that we play the game is to win that championship. And the playoff baseball that I've been lucky enough to be involved in and the Olympics and the World Baseball Classic, it's pure competition. It doesn't matter what contracts are on the line. It doesn't matter who got called up, who got sent down. You're taking the guys we have on the roster today, and everyone here is giving a 1,000% of what I have today. And it might not be 100% of my best, but I'm going to give you everything I have. I'm going to put my heart and soul on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's I – th- I honestly think – I felt last year, and look, it was a COVID year, but I really felt that Manfred dropped the ball. I felt this year the MLB picked it up in full spades. The way the game was publicized, televised, and honestly, they took social media and met it at the forefront because I felt they were they were lacking there, and they were unwilling to meet where the world was and the way people digest sports. And I felt they did an excellent job. This is the most competitive I've felt baseball has been in a while. Did you feel that way? Like, why, like you know, kind of like playing and watching and like, do you feel that tide turning? Because baseball, we brought up the Astro scandal, the way, again, it was handled in the COVID year. A lot of people felt it was like, you know, unfortunately on the down. And this is mine and Nick's first love. Obviously, you know, you're a pro. Like, did you feel this year it was handled well in that capacity? I can't speak to what you mean as far as how it's being digested and how it's being put out on social media. I know I get all sorts of posts on my Instagram from MLB and I love getting the highlights on Instagram. That's how I digest it as well. I don't end up watching sports center when I get traded to 75 different teams a year. Yes, I don't, Yeah. I don't have cable at these different apartments that I'm at. So I'm watching it on Instagram. I'm, I'm seeing it on Twitter, but as far as the competition level, I'm loving watching these playoff games. This is, really, really good baseball being played. And that's great for the game, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, oftentimes in October, like Pierce won the World Series MVP. We've seen Freeze go off. Like, honestly, we... Pique's having an amazing... has been unbelievable. It's been unbelievable. Obviously, the Astros don't necessarily have that because hottest take in the world. It's the best lineup I've ever seen, and I've been watching baseball for almost 30 years. Why do some guys break out? I have a theory, but why do some like like the unsung heroes, like the Eddie Rosario's, the Kike Hernandez, why are those guys breaking out in the playoffs? Is there is there can a we, reason? Can we talk about Eddie Rosario for a second? This guy's Please. a stud. Oh, yeah. Stud. This guy's an uh, absolute stud. I, I played with him this year. He was with the Indians. Indians. You were on his team. I forgot yeah. that he and he pleased. he didn't come out of nowhere. Let me say he's been this good a hitter for a long time. He was this good for the Indians. He was this good for the Twins before that. I don't know why pe- more people don't know his name. A lot of these Twins guys, like for like Polanco on the Twins, doesn't get enough love. I mean, they it, Buxton was getting the flash, but it, the injuries, like, look, you can't 
you got to stay on the field. Unfortunately, that's the way that's just the way. if you want to be a superstar, you got to play. Uh, I just feel like a lot of the twins, depending on where you play, like a lot of guys do sometimes get lost. I mean, especially when the big market teams are good, like when the Dodgers and the Giants and the Sox and the Yankees are good, they're going to it's it's ditto in any sport, though, in the NBA, yeah, yeah. you know, especially as well. They're going to promote those guys. I got like, yeah, Giannis, I'm sure he got Giannis in Milwaukee getting a lot of press. Yeah, in a small yep. market team. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. sure we all know hit, hitting is contagious too, right? When you're the rest of your team is putting up numbers, like you want to stay with the pack. I mean, you look at that infield that has 30 home runs across the board, except for Dansby, who hits 27. Like you want to be in that conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. And hitting with runners on base, you're you're hitting against a pitcher that's pitching out of the stretch all the time. A pitcher's pitching stressful innings, so he gets tired, he loses his focus. And I think to answer your question about why you see unexpected players bust out in the playoffs, I think it's because of that intensity, that that focus that comes with the postseason baseball. 162 games is a grind. Unless you're taking some sort of uh, ADD medication or whatever some of these guys have to help them focus, it is hard to be 100% focused on every single pitch of every single game. It's just not realistic. You're traveling across the country. You're flying till 3 a.m. You're in a new bed every four days. It's, it's not designed for human peak performance. But then you get to these playoffs where everything matters so much more. And again, you crank it up to 11 in your head, in your body, and on the field. Are you for trimming the fat then? Do you want to see it get knocked down from like 162 to like 125, 130? 30, 30 is a big cut. A 30 big is a big cut. cut. I can see maybe cutting it down 10, 12. I, I, I'm not a baseball purist in that sense of the term of like, it's 162. It's always got to be 162. I'm for let's, let's make it make sense. And I know we have a CBA coming up. I'm not making comments on the stance of the union or my stance or anything like that. I don't want to get involved in that argument right now. Yeah. Publicly at least. Gotcha. But I do think it makes sense for player well-being, you've talked about how, how Buxton gets hurt all the time. He's a marquee player for that franchise and for the league. I would love to see him stay on the field. And if he can stay healthy because you give him one extra day off a month or he doesn't have to travel overnight across two time zones, he can stay in a better hotel. He can rest his legs. His hamstrings aren't, aren't tight. I think that makes sense for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to protect these guys. I mean, look like, Otani is like the crown jewel right now. I was a, I I would love to hear how your thoughts as well. Like when he first came up to where he's at now, because I'll be honest, I didn't buy it pretty much up until this season. I thought he was going to have to pick one or the other and probably have to pick hitting because in my mind, if you lose one of the, if he, if he gets hurt, you lose your best hitter and your best pitcher. It's a double whammy. So if he blows his arm out again, that not only do you lose your ace, you also lose your best hitter. So mm-hmm. to me, it's very dangerous. But what what do you, what's your opinion? On, I mean, obviously, he's been amazing for the game. I mean, hot take. I don't, I don't think I'm the only one that thinks this. I think he's better than Babe Ruth. I think he's probably, especially this season, he's probably the best player that's ever played the game. Wow. The things that he's doing on the mound, he's one of the best pitchers in the league. At the plate, he's in the conversation to be one of the best hitters in the league. Babe Ruth wasn't that good at both at the same time. Yeah. I mean, he was just able to do both. He was able to do both. And he set records because the record, you know, the records are still standing because the game was different back then. Right. Two different sports. But, but Otani is, is doing this in the, in the game where 
these play, some of these players are superhuman and he's still a man amongst men. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. like, I think at some point though, and correct me if I'm wrong, as he gets older, he's going to have to probably lean towards one direction because your body starts to wear and tear. And if you want to have a longer career in this league, like you, hitting is probably the one where he's going to end up having a longer career. Maybe, but the angels need pitching. The sure. angels lineup is stacked. They can score runs. No problem. Yeah. Their pitching has been abysmal. What's the reasons. What's the reason that Mike Trout and Otani and Pujols was there and Rendon at third base aren't in the playoff picture every year. That lineup is stacked. Yeah. I mean, you need, and like, look, that's like the giants. Obviously a lot of these guys have Renaissance years like Posey played some of his best baseball belts. Always nice. He's Stramsky's a good player. Like Longoria was back. A lot of these guys in the, in the Crawford. I mean, like, look, a lot of these guys had Renaissance years in the infield and the, you know, on the lineup for the giants, but you don't get there without Gosman pitching like a scion. Mm-hmm. You need it. I mean, especially as a catcher, uh, Pitching, I'm sure you know, pitching is premium in my in my in our eyes. You need it. You can't win without it. Who's the best pitcher you've caught for? Like the most, maybe a guy that, or maybe a guy that we don't necessarily highlight enough, like as media or as fans and all that. Well, that that those Red Sox years early in my career, especially yeah. the year that we won it. I mean, we had John Lester, we had Josh. Uh, I'm sorry, John Lester, Lackey, Buck Holtz, we had uh, Beckett. I, I was there for the end of Wakefield's career. Mm. We had some absolute studs. We had Papelbon. Mm. We had Daniel Bard when he was really good before he lost it and got really good again. The, the pitching was un, unreal. And the, the two that, that, for me, from a catcher perspective, I thought was the coolest was when a pitcher can manipulate the ball and make it do different things. Because a lot of these guys these days, you have one or two pitches that are top-notch excellent. You live and die on one or two pitches. But the way that uh, Joel Hanrahan and Clay Buckholtz could manipulate the baseball, you don't, you don't think about it, but they could make the ball go left, right, up, down, slow, fast. They never tried it, but I'm sure they could throw a knuckleball if they, if they wanted to. Those guys, to me, are the most special. Buckholtz was something – you were there for that 174 year. That was the year that y'all won, too. Yeah. I mean, he when he was at his peak, he was great. He was another guy that just injuries kind of like, you know, derailed him at points. The Hanrahan thing is so interesting you bring up because I think I've brought him up on our podcast before. You definitely have. Because the story, I don't remember who it was because he was pitching in Washington, I think. And he was pitching in Washington. He was not good. And I think he got dinner with one of his buddies after. And he was like kind of lamenting, like, I don't know why, like what's going on. And the guy's like, it's just the way you carry yourself on the mound. Like, I know based on the way you're acting on the mound that I'm going to get a hit off of you. Interesting. Like body language. He changes that, goes to Pittsburgh, and is like an all-star. It wasn't stuff. His stuff was always there. That's what I'm saying. Is it, Do you notice like as a hitter, like body language on a pitcher? Like, it's like we talk about it being a chess match, but we're never in the box. You know what I'm saying? I notice it more when I'm catching than when I'm hitting okay. because when I'm catching the pitcher is my, my full attention. I'm, I'm talking when I first got to triple I was 23, which was young for triple at the time. Now that's more about average, but there was, there was four 35 year old pitchers on the triple A team when I first got there as 23. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they were leading a, a young deer through the woods because they're calling pitches from the mound to me, teaching me how to, how to, work through a game, how to work through a lineup multiple times. 
And, and I, I learned to always be watching what they do. Daisuke Matsuzaki used to call pitches from the mound with his tongue and his eyes. And if you weren't completely locked in, no one in the world would notice. There's 50,000 so people in the stadium. There's cameras on him. And he, he's telling me every single pitch, what's coming? Nobody knows. So as far as the body language, the posture, how they're holding themselves, if there's, some, if there's something that might be fighting an injury, I'm always locked in on the pitcher. And, and what you said about carrying yourself, um, I, I like to, to talk about um, kind of pitching with an FU. This helps a lot of these guys. Their body language and their approach helps as much as their stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you see with Mad Max, I am. Oh, yeah. Mad Max is one of the most ferocious ones when it comes to that body language. I don't even anticipate us getting a Dice K story or a little Dice K anecdote, but I'm so stoked. He was I, I loved him growing. I mean, I, like I grew these are the guys I grew. I grew up on your teams. You know what I'm saying? When yeah. I was my first year of college, y'all won the World Series. And I'll never forget watching with like older like guys that I was hanging out with. They were St. Louis fans. It was absolutely um, Ryan. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Josh Fisher. This is the charity stripe. It's Nicholas Snacks. Kreider. Ryan LaVarnway is joining us. He'll be right back with us for our second segment. Hang tight, guys. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. We will back. be right back with the charity stripe on the all-new Mightier 1090 AM. SoCal Sports Talk. We're back once again, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Hitch free throws because they're free. I'm Joshua Fisher, along with Nicholas Snacks, Kreider, and Ryan LaVarnway joining us for segment number two. Before we get into any more baseball chat, Ryan, tell the people where they can find you on social media, man. Social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Ryan LaVarnway. I'm on Instagram at R LaVarnway. Um, posting more and more these days about uh, the Ironman stuff I'm doing this offseason and, and baseball coaching, all the things I got going on. So check me out on social. Nice. The, where, when did you start training for the Ironman? Uh, the, the minute the season ended, um, I signed up for this. So this is, this will be my first Ironman branded race. I did a triathlon 70.3 last year, uh, but it was from a different, different triathlon series, Jesus. something I've always wanted to do. Um, I, I never let myself do it cause I was afraid I was going to lose too much weight for baseball. But after this last year, I ended up hitting for more power this year. I think I slowed wow. down a little bit. My my hips are a little bit more flexible when I'm carrying less weight. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, Ironman is like the major leagues of triathlon. So oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. It's in like six weeks. Is there a lot of other guys out there in the league that that do triathlons that you know of? Not that I know of. It's, it's a kind of different energy system within your body that you use for the triathlon and that you do for baseball. Baseball is more of like stationary to explosive as fast as possible. And Ironman is very much you know, high heart rate sustained, mm-hmm. but for me, it's, it's worked for my body. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Nice. I mean, my aunt was the, my aunt was a NCAA champ for UConn and an iron woman. So she did that too. It's a lot, but that's kudos to you. I mean, you've already done the triathlon, the 70.3. You're pretty much like halfway there, honestly, yeah. on that, at that point, <laughs> at, well, at that point, honestly, is it, is it just mental? Like when is like the physical part, when are you there physically in any kind of capacity as an athlete? And then it just becomes a mental. Well, so I'm doing the Ironman 70.3 again. I don't, I don't have time to, to get ready for the 140 okay. in this short of time, but you're right. There is a huge mental part of it, but just like in baseball, I think if your body is there, it's easier to get your mind there. And if your mind's there, it's, it's easier to get your body there. So I think they're very tied in together. 
Absolutely. And then this past summer, you got to go to the Olympics, play for Team yes. Israel. Tell us about that, man. That's got to be one of the sweetest experiences ever. The, it was very, very, very cool. And I'm so grateful I got the opportunity to do it. If I had been in the major leagues at the time, I would have been ineligible to go. So I ended up getting a call up to the Indians about a month before the Olympics. And all my teammates were like, oh, we could really have used you like crap, like good for you. Congratulations on getting called up again. But our team just got worse. And then I got sent down and they were like, yeah, you got sent down. You can come to the Olympics again. Everything <laughs> works out for a reason. That's yeah, wild. So it worked out. Um, maybe divine providence. I don't, I don't know. But getting to go over there, it was, it was such a cool experience. It was something I never thought would be possible because for my whole professional career, baseball has not been in the Olympics. Yeah. So, so having baseball be back in the Olympics in Tokyo, uh, unbelievable. I, I know we're on a, a time clock here for this podcast. So the, for me, the, the best parts of the Olympic experience were when I got to interact with the other athletes from the other sports and mm-hmm. from all over the world. So the coolest parts for me were the gym in Olympic Village and the cafeteria, because that's where you had the most interaction. And, and yeah. if I had to, if I had to cut it between those two, I'd say the gym was my favorite because the the coolest thing about these elite elite athletes, like if you watch LeBron James, he's the best in the world. If you watch Max Max Scherzer, he's been dominant for years and years and years. They were probably born with an advantage physically and and a little bit of that talent. But the thing is, what they're doing behind closed doors and the work they're putting in when no one's watching is what makes them so great year after year. And at the Olympic gym in Olympic village, I got to see what's going on behind the scenes for the best athletes in every sport from around the world. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine some of these workouts that some of these athletes are doing would probably be different than any workout you've seen because it's a completely different sport using your yeah, body in a completely different true. capacity. I mean, yeah, what a so. what a what a rower does versus what a bobsledder does versus what a catcher for baseball does is like not even apples and oranges. It's apples and French fries. So so <laughs> apples and French fries. So let me tell you, uh, there was there was a couple of the days. You know, I'd go in there, I'd stretch, I, I'd roll out, I'd have a towel around my neck. Not doing very impressive workouts myself. Let me yeah. preface with that. Sure. This is not a not a brag at all. I'm in the corner looking at all these other amazing athletes, but in, in one visual without even turning my head, I'm looking at Argentina, Argentinian gym gymnasts doing handstands and cartwheels with their coach kind of supporting them, getting ready for their competition in the background is a power lifter from New Zealand, totally different body type doing deadlifts with God only knows how much weight off to the right. There's a guy from Egypt, kickboxer, kicking his coach who's wearing a big belly pad off to the right a little bit more you have two seven foot tall basketball players from france warming up on the rowing machine and then you've got a couple people from kenya on the treadmill like they're some sort of track and field i don't know if they're a distance sprint you have a mexican softball team doing med ball throws against the wall getting loose getting loose before they go to the field for their games and on and on and on and it was just so freaking cool What was Team Israel working on that time? So Team Israel, uh, I thought this was a a funny um, little little trivia fact for you. Team Israel had the best Olympics they've ever had as far as medal count. But before (laughs) this Olympics, they had never won a medal in a sport where the athlete wears shoes. Wow. So what other is that? You're giving me a face right now. I know. Windsurfing, judo, 
rhythmic gymnastics. Yeah, these are the medals that, that Israel had won before. And Israel, you know, hasn't been in that many Olympics before this, but I think they had won 10 or 11 medals before this Olympics, and they won three or four more. Look, Ryan, you're, you're told us you're a dual citizen. I've been to Israel multiple times. I used to work with Birthright and lead trips. Right. I've been a bunch. And I can, we, that doesn't surprise me. I, it, you know, Chacos and Jesus sandals are what, you know, a lot of these people, <laughs> it's what they wear. It's what it, I'm serious. Like, it's what they wear on their feet. So, yeah, no, no crap. There's, you know, they're not going to have, you know, shoes on one of these sports. So it makes that, that does track a little bit for we, me. We talked a little bit off the air about, you know, being Jewish and, and there's a lot of Judaism in sports, but not really in sports, right? You got a lot of broadcasters, you got a lot of people in front offices, but there's not a lot of ton of active athletes that are actually Jewish. And I was talking about how, you know, growing up, I would always look up who are the active MLB players who are Jewish or the NFL players. And like, I always find, you know, Kevin Euclid, Ian Kinsler, Ryan Braun, who are some of those guys for you, Ryan? So, so for me, I grew up in Los Angeles. I was always a Dodger fan growing up. The, the Jewish player on the team was Sean Green. And yeah. um, I think I was telling Nick this a little bit earlier. Sean Green was listed on the back of his baseball card as being six foot four, 225 pounds. So that was my goal as a high school athlete. Like, not, I know you can't really control how tall you're going to be or body weight you can control a little bit more, but at a certain point, it's up to the frame that, that you were blessed with. I always wanted to be six foot four, 225, just like Sean Green. And I was a late grower. I was five foot seven my junior year when you get recruited to college. I did a lot of growing later in, in my schooling years. And I ended up being like six, three and a third, maybe. But when I filled out my form, when I got drafted, I was six, four. <laughs> and awesome. then I was, I probably got my weight, probably got a little bit higher before that first baseball card. I was probably closer to 240. But because of Sean Green, I listed myself at, at six, four, 225. And then a, a few years ago, I had the pleasure of emailing back and forth with Sean. We did a charity event together to raise money for uh, Israel baseball and Israel baseball fields. And afterwards, I sent him an email. I told him that story. And uh, he was so generous. He wrote back to me. He's like, hey, congratulations. I'm proud of you. Uh, and just so you know, I never made it to 6'4", 225 either. <laughs> I was, like I was going to say, I, I grow up with a lot of Jewish guys, 6'4", 225. That's a special Jewish man right there. That's a, that's a rare breed. That, that's odd. That's yeah. odd. I mean, Sean I mean, Green was electric to watch. That, we talked about that's probably why there's not too many Jews in the NFL or the NBA, just because of the size factor. Mm, yeah, but I, you got the Kinsler was on Team Israel. Yep. I mean, he, he was amazing to watch. Out of retirement, right? Was Breslow? Talk about, talk about the... all-time great, great guy also in really? Kinsler. You're not going to find a better guy and a better leader to be around. Very, very happy I got to experience that with him. Yeah, I mean, he was on some good teams, too. I mean, and, and yep. teams, and not like good Yankee or Dodger or Red Sox team. He was on a good Rangers team. He was on a good Tigers team. Yep. I mean, that's like coming together. What's it like playing for a big market franchise versus playing for a small market franchise, like mentality-wise? Like, is there more pressure almost when you're playing for the big market franchise because everyone's expecting you to win versus the smaller market franchise where it's like, you know, the Royals kind of catch lightning in a bottle once every like 20 years? Uh, the thing I noticed when I was in Boston was everything is just magnified. Mm -hmm. There was at the, you know, back before COVID, the reporters and the interviewers are all in the locker room with the cameras. And in Boston, there's 32, 34 people every day. They're there. If, if you're doing good, it's the best thing in the world. If you're doing bad, it sucks. And I remember, mm -hmm. I remember one time Adrian Gonzalez got interviewed after a 0 for 3 with a walk game. And he got asked, the first question he got asked was about his mini slump that he was in. I was like, it was one game. 
What do you mean many slump? And that was his response. It was, what do you mean? I went over three. It's not a slump. And there's the, the questions are harder and you have to answer because so many people care and so many people live and die with these games and, and it's the major leagues. And it, that's amazing. That's what you sign up for. But it's, I went from that. And then the next team I played for was the Baltimore Orioles. And, and there's, there's seven, seven or eight reporters that nothing like that. It's just not the same. Yeah. yeah. That's wild. We, we talk about San Diego, you know, starting to become a bigger market just because of the success that they're having. Right now, they're in a managerial search, along with a couple of other teams, such as the Mets, the Cardinals, all pretty desirable destinations for a manager to go. As a player, what do you look for in a manager coming into a new situation? That's a great, great question. Um, Especially, I've played for 10 big league managers over the years. And the, the favorite big league managers that I've played for are the guys that make every single member of the team feel like they're an important member of the team. And I remember Buck Showalter did that when I was the 20, I was the 25th guy on that 25 man roster. I was the backup catcher. I was playing once every eight days that the, the schedule that year worked out where off days lined up and he, we, we didn't need a backup catcher for a week at a time, but every single day Buck Showalter would come up to me, make me feel important. He'd give me baseball trivia, which I thought was interesting because he's just a, he just loves baseball. Like how many teams in the league wear pinstripes? or uh, how many teams in the league have their uh, their logo on their socks? Questions like that, that just would have me thinking. He even asked me if, if I thought he should bunt one time, just got my, kept my mind working on the game. Terry Francona is like that also. Every single person on that team matters, and he knows what's going on in your life, and, and you feel like he cares about you and he has your back. So coming into a new situation for, as a manager, I would just I would just say earn the respect and the trust of your players by showing them that you care about them. Yeah, no, it's something that the San Diego media picked up a lot this last season is there was a lot of talk from players just saying that they didn't feel like their their voices were heard. And I mean, obviously, we don't know that that's all secondhand, but it's something that really rings true as a former athlete myself, like just having a coach or, or, or a mentor or someone that just always wants to have your opinions, like having your voice heard on the field, like you want to be taken seriously. I mean, it's a really great point. And you mentioned Buck Showalter, another guy who's in contention for some of these spots as well. I mean, I would be enamored, floored, and I would love to have Buck Showalter for the Padres, to be honest. I mean, pair him back up with Manny. I have a ton of respect for Buck. Um, I never, never a bad thing to say about that, man. Yeah, I mean, they were good. It's just not about you, like, as a manager. Like, it's I, I like Cora a lot. And I think Cora kind of gets it that it's not about him. It's about these guys. And if you want you, it's, you have to kind of control the locker room and be a player coach more so than anything, because at the end of the day, Scherzer's going to go out and do Scherzer things. Like there's not really much. You're going to Dave Roberts. He's, he came over at the halfway point. Like, what's Dave Roberts going to teach this guy. That's getting waltzed into the hall of fame. There's no difference. I mean, you really just kind of got to manage locker room from our perspective, it seems. And like hearing you talk about it, a guy like Buck Showalter is really what the Padres need right now. You have Manny Machado, who was that budding superstar, is now a superstar, has gotten his individually, now wants to win, versus Fernando Tatis Jr., who's kind of what Manny Machado was a couple years back. By the yeah. way, what did you make of that whole situation of when they were yelling at each other in the, um, the dugout? I mean... In sports, it happens all the time. You know, guys get on each other. It just doesn't happen publicly all the time. Do you have anything to say on that? Well, I played with Manny Machado when he was the young budding superstar in Baltimore. Yeah. 
eight years, seven years ago, however long it was. And, and to me, I was so impressed with how he handled that situation because he was the young guy that would go out and pout on the field or throw the bat at the third baseman when something wasn't going his way. And he has matured and he has grown up. He's a hall of famer. He's first ballot. He's an unbelievable talent. And that this, this person, this player, this leader that he is now is what I think people wanted him to be before he was ready to be that. And, and now he's taken on that role. He's embracing the, the opportunity to be a leader to a young player who is an unbelievable athlete, who's one of the best in the game, best in the world. I loved it, mm-hmm. but yeah. that shouldn't, that shouldn't be any of our business. That's, he did it in the dugout he did it i think he did it pretty much in the right way also and it just there just happened to be a cell phone camera right there guys fight all the time like you want to you want to win i mean heck we radio nick and i off the air we'll we'll get not like we won't get screamy but we'll get fired up because we want the show to be good because you care oh yeah like it's like the whole if you don't if you don't if, if you're not fired up you don't care if you're not nervous you don't care the whole yep. it, it kind of goes that bleeds into all that. I I hope the Padres get a guy like Buck in there, just an older guy who's been there before, because you can't tell him otherwise. Because he's won, he's a winner. You yep. know, yep. there's success. a lot. Of, there's a lot of proven winners out there, so I'm I'm sure they'll make the right choice this time. Ryan, before we let you rock and roll, man, we ask this one question to every single guest that's ever come on our show. What is your favorite sports memory of all time? This could be as you as a player, as a spectator, as a fan. Favorite sports memory. Wow. Uh, I wish you had let me know that question was coming ahead of time. But uh, no, the first thing that pops into my mind is uh, the ALCS in 2013. So I was on that Red Sox World Series team. I was traveling with the squad. I was in the dugout, but I was not active. I was the 26th man just in case something got hurt. But I was a member of the team, man. And, And that team was not supposed to be there that year. We were not supposed to beat the Tigers that year. They were absolutely stacked that year. And between David Ortiz hitting that come from behind game tying grand slam where Torrey Hunter's legs went over the wall, parallel to the police officers, ecstatically jubilantly raised arms. And then, and then being at Fenway park with 38,000 screaming Bostonians. Honestly, the thing that I remember was Shane Victorino's walk-up song was Bob Marley two little birds and he would go up to the plate and for the first three pitches of every single at bat, the whole stadium is still singing that song. That's, and that was so, so I cool. Remember that. I remember that. That's awesome. That is such like, again, like in the hoorah of a championship winning team, the kind of camaraderie of like the fans. I, when I met Poppy, I went up to him, dapped him up. We met him in Super Bowl radio row and he was walking away. I was like, Poppy, before you go, I got to let you know that grand slam bottom eighth off Joaquin Benoit five, one is the coolest thing I've seen in sports. It was just sure he gets it a lot. (laughs) I was sitting in the dugout and you know, what do you do when you're not active to try to help the team? I'm not a guy that, that does chewing tobacco, but I put in a rally dip. I got to do what I can to help the boys. So I had Copenhagen long cut in my lip. I'm, I'm ready to puke my brains out. I'm feeling awful. Yeah. And everyone starts jumping up and down, going crazy in the dugout. And I'm ready to puke, but also the happiest I've ever been. That's speaking of, speaking of that, Devers puts in one of the biggest pieces of chew I've ever seen in my life. Are there guys that obviously do that, that catch some flack or like, oh my God, how are you able to put that much inside your mouth and play still? 
I, re- I remember Terry Francona used to be a big, he used to drop bombs. He'd wrap it in gum and then he'd chew it for about five seconds and he'd drop it on the floor and there's 30 gum balls all over the dug. He doesn't do it anymore. Uh, but that was disgusting in the dugout when he used to do that. I'll never, I from, from the Northeast, obviously, when I went down to school with Nick at Texas, like I had never, honestly, I never even heard of, like I'd seen dip on TV with the players, but I never even imagined doing it. And like, yeah, you got to try it. And I'll never forget all the Northeast guys like sitting there together, just like woozy, like you're talking about. But like, I was like a whole nother world. That's such a funny story, man. I mean, again, like the rally bombs, like you got, I told Nick, I'm like, Hey, look, I'm not good at softball. Just put me on the team. Cause I will be the dip guy. I'll be the rally bomb guy <laughs> for the squad. That's what I want to be. before this is last it. World Series prediction, what happens? It's 3-1 Braves over the Dodgers right now. We got one more game tonight, Dodger Stadium. Sox, go to Ash, go to the Astros tomorrow. What's your prediction? How does it shake out? Who wins it all? Uh, man, if you would have asked me before the playoffs started, my prediction was Dodgers versus Rays because those two teams were so, so well built. But watching the Braves win right now, I don't know how you beat them. That lineup, there's no holes in the lineup. There's nowhere to go to get a free out. None. So I think the Dodgers probably win one or two more games, but those Braves, it's going to be tough to win three in a row against this Braves team. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably take the Braves out of the national league. The Red Sox find a way to come up with magic every once in a while. And again, I don't like the Astros right now. I don't think anyone in the world likes the Astros after the last couple of years. So I'm going to go with my heart over my head in the American league and go Red Sox. Let's go. Someone had Red Sox against the Braves, two teams I, I used to play for. Uh, and then if that happens, I'm rooting for the Red Sox, regardless of what happens. Love that. I look, I'm the, I'm the one that's been, I've been changed to go with my head slowly, but surely year after year, I'm glad one of us is still going with his heart. And that man going with his heart is Ryan LaVarnway. Check him out on Twitter. Check him out on Instagram. Ryan, you come back anytime, man. We loved having you on brother. Talk some baseball. I'm Joshua Fisher. You already know Nicholas Snacks Kreider out of San Diego, 619. Where the charities try pitch a free throws because they're free. We'll see you next time. We out you. We love you.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.